CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. And welcome, Options Action fans. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's traders, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Tony Zhang. Let's get right to it. Check out shares of Netflix going, well, nowhere. The streaming giant now just barely positive on the year, down more than 8% from its all-time highs. But our chart master, Carter Worth, says the stock could be setting up for a big rally. So, Carter, take it away. You bet. I mean, I think it's, it is a fast, it's a perfect standoff, right? Equilibrium does exist, but it doesn't last. At some point, the bears or, or the bulls uh, get the ball. So, Let's look at four charts. They're all the same chart, just with different annotations. Here is a two-year chart uh, of Netflix, no judgments or drawings by me. Now look at the next chart. What I've tried to point out here is the move from the lows of 2019 uh, to the summer high of 2020. Now Netflix goes up 128%. In that period, the S&P went up 40. So you're talking about a threefold increase over the S&P. So the question is, this sideways period since, is that an acceptable thing? Is it just the pause that refreshes? Or is it somehow stalling? Now take a look at two ways to draw the lines. Next chart. So there is the sideways action. Again, the ascent off the low, a threefold increase over the S&P, up 128 versus 42. And now this tight range-bound trading. What it really represents is multiple compression. The stock got ahead of itself, and it keeps performing and performing, buying back shares, beating its numbers, maybe the margins are growing, and at some point it's getting so cheap that in principle it has breakout potential. Final chart, another way to draw the lines. It's an ascending triangle. And so the relative performance is very poor. To be unchanged in eight months, nine months, when the Russell 2000 is up 35, 40%, the S&P is up 20 Is that the problem, or is it simply because it was such a good performer preceding the period of rest? That's my thinking, and uh, last quarter it gapped up in a big way. We think it gaps up again. All right. Mike, what's your trade? Yeah, so Netflix is an interesting case. I mean, there are obviously some real fundamental strengths here. I mean, 200 million subscribers. Obviously, the pandemic helped fuel some of that growth, but we are seeing a lot of reasons why it might continue going forward, and they are clearly the winner in the streaming space. And Carter pointed out that their valuation is basically been declining for some period of time. It's actually right now the P.E. is essentially at a six-year low. thing to remember, though, is that's still just under 70 times trailing 12-month earnings. So cheaper, but not cheap. So I think the way that we want to try to play Netflix going into earnings is to take advantage of two dynamics that we see in the price of options right now. First, the three-month options in Netflix are essentially at a two-year low in terms of their implied volatility. So we get to own some convexity by purchasing those. And at the same time, because we have the earnings catalyst coming up, the near-dated options are exceptionally expensive. It's implying right now about a 7.5% move. That may not sound like much given how much the stock moved the last quarter. But that is in line with the eight-quarter average. And this, of course, is a very big company and a very high share price. So 7.5% would represent a fairly big move. I was looking specifically 
at the July 560 calls, buying those, and then selling the weekly 580s. Net net, you would be laying out about $23 to do that trade, a little bit more than the distance between the strikes. Remember, the idea is to own that longer dated call and collect the premium from the one that's going to expire a week from now. I think this is a way that we can take advantage of the technical setup that Carter sees, mitigate some of the downside risk that we are seeing, maybe just because the market is a little bit extended, because the stock is quite expensive, take advantage of the fact that the short dated options are relatively pricey here. All right. Uh, Tony now, though, has a counterpoint here that speaks directly to the effectiveness of using options around Netflix. Tony. Yeah, so I'm not as bullish here going into Netflix's earnings now. I do admit that I see Carter's charts and I see the fact that we are clearly here at a nine-month equilibrium and it does look like it's a continuation pattern that could resolve itself to the upside. But when I look at the underlying fundamentals, I do have a belief that this, resol that this equilibrium will likely resolve itself to the downside because First of all, the relative strength of Netflix has really started to come down and fall apart here at the beginning of March, starting to underperform the XLC sector. That's the first uh, evidence that I have of potential underperformance. But when you look at the business itself, uh, revenue growth here for 2021 is expected to decelerate down to about 19% from the high 20s. And more importantly, when you look at Netflix downloads compared to its other competitors, Netflix is down about 26% this particular quarter versus Disney Plus is up 54%. So this shows me a bit of bifurcation here in the streaming space. But I do think that options is the one way to play this because Mike's trade is actually not as bullish. It's more mildly bullish, actually fairly neutral here, only risking 4.5%. So, and I do see that a potential surprise here for Netflix is the international segment. They have been testing mobile only plans that are relatively cheap for the international market. That could surprise us to the upside. So utilizing options with limited risk is the way to play this in my opinion. Mike, what's your take on Tony's take? Yeah, I mean, I think he's right. I mean, really what we are looking at is decelerating top line growth. I think we still will see impressive growth. I think it's also important to remember that the hurdle has been lowered a little bit. Even the bulls have lowered some of their global sub-growth estimates for this quarter. So that might mean that they actually, with that lower hurdle, could still do well coming out of earnings. But I do think that we want to be very cautious about taking net longs in high valuation stocks like this in a mm. high valuation market. There's been a lot of bullish sentiment. There's a lot of bullish sentiment in this stock. I think using options is really the only way we can basically mitigate that downside risk in case turn, things turn a little bit ugly here. All right, coming up, Tony's got some intel on Intel. We'll reveal what it is after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. We are gearing up for a huge week for earnings. We just tackled Netflix, but Tony's got his eye on another name. So, Tony, what are you looking at? I'm looking at Intel because Intel's had had a pretty tough year, but it is up 30% year to date. But I do think it's potentially time to fade that strength. If we take a look at the chart itself, we have this double top that recently formed here around $68. It got rejected at that level this week. That certainly puts a potential top here for Intel. But more importantly, when you look at Intel relative to its sector, the, uh, the Sox uh, Philly uh, Semiconductor ETF, 
This is a, a stock that has continued to underperform its sector since June of last year. And despite this year's strong performance, it has failed to underperform. And that type of poor relative strength is what I see going into earnings that is potentially uh, a, a factor for fading this particular strength. If you look at the business itself, this is really where Intel continues to come under pressure into its two main businesses. On the data center side, both uh, NVIDIA and ARM is starting to muscle in on that 85% market share that Intel currently owns. And AMD with Taiwan Semiconductors is starting to beat Intel on both price and performance with their PC chips, something that Intel generates more than 50% of their revenue from. And despite the foundry investments that Intel has made, Taiwan Semiconductors is still gonna have to manufacture Intel's high performance chips for the next few years. So it really speaks to how far behind the curve Intel is in this particular arms race. So for those reasons, I think Intel is likely going to underperform here going into the earnings announcement. So, and if you look at the earnings themselves, the market is implying a relatively muted move here, only uh, implying about a 5.8% move, while the stock has moved on average about 7.8% over the last eight quarters. So I'm taking more of a bearish to slightly neutral view here for Intel by going out to May. I'm selling the 65.70 call spread here, collecting about $1.68 in terms of a credit, which is about 33% of the width. And this is the type of trade structure that allows me to profit as long as Intel stays below $65 at expiration here in May. Carter, how does that chart look? Tony highlighted the underperformance relative to the uh, semiconductor index. Right. So there are 30 constituents in the SOX. The SOX dates back to 1994. And Intel is right now making all-time relative lows. Yes, the last three months are bad. It's never been lower relative to its peer group. There's also this. The stock itself is still below its dot-com peak. Um, there's something not right. I would just stay away from it. Huh. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the company is, needs to turn itself around, and Pat Gelsinger is probably the person to do it. He is an engineer, and that's really where they've fallen behind. I mean, when we think about what's in the box, it's not Intel inside that people are worried about. It's whether it has an NVIDIA GPU. Everybody's more excited about that. So I am enthusiastic, at least, that the new management could turn around that story. But uh, obviously, the, the company itself has some things to work out before that happens, I think. All right. Well, we just laid out trades on Netflix and Intel into earnings. And when buying options like into a catalyst like earnings, it's important to buy right. And sometimes that's easier said than done. So luckily, Mike is here to explain how to do exactly that. Time for a call to action. Mike. Yeah. So, you know, one of the other spaces that we're going to see some earnings next week is in the telecoms, Verizon, AT&T. And, you know, when we do a buy right, here are the important things to consider. Typically, you want to do this on a stock that you want to own. You want to do it so, though, on a stock that has maybe only modest upside potential. Why is that? Because you're going to be selling an upside call. This is a situation where you're worrying less about catalysts, less about capital appreciation, and more about yield. I was taking a look at AT&T, which is a very high-yielding stock. And when you see high dividend yields like that, that is actually a sign that a stock could potentially be struggling. And AT&T has been. You know, they have some legacy problems in South America. They have legacy problems with their wireline business. But they have covered this dividend. I think they will continue to. And I think the dividend itself provides a level of support. You can look to buy that stock. I was looking at that. It was about 29 and a half bucks earlier today. And you could sell those June 31 calls for about 50 cents against it. Now, importantly, those calls 
expire before the next dividend date. So you actually are essentially creating a new one for yourself by selling those. And the yield would be just under 1.7% on a standstill basis between now and June expiration. So the important thing to remember when you're looking at buy rights, which is probably the most basic option strategy and the one that a lot of people begin with, choose stocks that you want to own that you don't think are, are going to basically take off because you're going to be selling off some of that upside and where you're basically just looking to enhance the yield. And this is one of those situations, I think. And actually, this is one I'm putting into my account. Carter, in your view, is AT&T a stock you want to own? Well, it's a bond, right? I mean, in a world where <laughs> you have record low high yield rates, this is a 7% yield and they do cover it. Um, uh, we have two charts if you want to look. So the first, again, no judgments or annotations, no comments. And the second is what my eye sees. So uh, shockingly, of course, uh, AT&T is only fractionally above its pandemic low of March, but it is above. And that formation would suggest uh, inching higher. And so this is exactly where an option strategy, the one laid out by Mike, is the right thing to do. Tony, what do you think? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. With AT&T, you have this large diversified business that's expected to grow 1% in terms of revenue this year. So as, as Carter put it, a bond is exactly what you're seeing here. It's a stock that pays about a 7% dividend yield that is well covered by uh, the, the, the cash flows. Uh, so for an investor who's seeking income, this is kind of your dream stock, uh, especially, especially on the technical perspective, as Carter was saying, you have a nice range-bound uh, trade here. That's ideal for selling a cover call because you can can tactically sell cover calls. The one suggestion that I could make on that cover call is Mike has chosen to go out to June, the, those 31 calls, you're collecting about 50 cents. You can collect about 30 cents for the May 31 calls, which generate just about 1% of the underlying stock's value in half the amount of time. Now, if you are able to have AT&T close below 31 by May, you have the opportunity to potentially sell another one in June, collect another 30 cents. This way you, you'll eke out a little bit more profit in terms of, in terms of income by selling a shorter dated option that's going to decay a little bit faster. Mike, is there a reason why you chose June over May, as Tony's recommending? Yeah, I mean, I think what he's saying is actually a, is a good thought. I think it's important to remember that the nearer data the options are, the more quickly they are going to decay. The tricky part is that the cheaper those options become, the bigger the bid-ask spread and the commissions make in terms of taking away some of the yield that you're going to collect. So it's kind of a trade-off there. But uh, I think, you know, the way he's thinking about it, that may set up well for some people. Just make sure you watch your execution and make sure that you have low costs. And, you know, then you will obviously need to manage this trade a little bit more because when May expiration comes, you'll want to sell that next one out. But I think that's also a good idea. So either of those work for me. All right. Up next, I got your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, I purchased May 21st Amazon $3,800 options that have been in the money since the start of the week. Looking at the chart, I'm bullish, but with earnings fast approaching, should I continue to hold? What do you think, Carter? Well, you always take earnings risk, but this is identical to Netflix, which is to say this stock doubled the performance of the S&P off its pandemic low. And now it's been resting for seven months. A breakout here, a measured move, implies exactly 3,800. All right, so the chart lines up. Mike, your recommendation? Yeah, I mean, the implied volatility is in line with the realized volatility. So actually owning options are a fair value bet. So I like that as the way to make your long plays here. All right, our next viewer asks, 
What are your thoughts on Halliburton bought some January 2022 $25 calls for $1.60? Tony, your thoughts? Yeah, so these calls are just slightly in the money right now or just slightly profitable. So it depends on how, what your long-term views here are on Halliburton. My views are that Halliburton is starting to underperform. Energy shares are starting to underperform. I'm concerned of a, of a bit of a pullback here. Carter, your quick take on the chart here. Um, there's an old-time technical expression. It doesn't act well. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Enough said, I guess. Time for the <laughs> final call. Carter, kick it off. <laughs> sure. Netflix. We'll put Amazon in there as well. Tony? Fading the strength here in Intel, selling a May call credit spread. Mike Coe? I like AT&T for buy rights and calendar spreads on Netflix going into earnings. All right. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But in the meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Have a great weekend. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.